You should change it to oops. Oh, good morning, everybody. Um, I wanted to I'd start off with a feel-good story. Oh, good, right? So uh, we have a, a doctor. He's our doctor in Dallas, um, who's a Dr. Peffley. Uh, and, you know, right, Towers, you guys have him too, right? So, yeah, he's a Christian guy. Um, and he was so fed up with having to deal with insurance, which he told me took something like 30% to 40% of his time and the time of his office, that he went off of insurance and offered a, you know, you pay him monthly and you get his services. And, uh, you know, but of course, you still have to pay like out of pocket for like x-rays and stuff like that. But his monthly thing is is very, very reasonable. So anyway, uh, just this last, was it this last week, the two kids? They both were in an accident together. You're going to correct me along the way as I mess up this story. And they both broke their arms. So one of them had Pefli, and the other one went to emergent care. And the one who went to Pefli was x-rayed, seen, home, in bed, resting, while the other was still in urgent care. Right. Right. So, uh, and then, so that's one thing. You know, so that's a great benefit, sure. The other one was in urgent care for like hours and hours. But the next day, Pefley called the mom and said, you know, uh, to check on him and then asked him if he was ready for his cast. And once they agreed that yes, then Pefley made a house call and put the cast on him and in at home. Is that right? So that's just a feel-good story. So what we think, you know, you know, the insurance companies, the government's getting huge, everything's, you know, we're losing all of our stuff, which I'm, I'm sure eventually they'll make it illegal to do that. But as it stands now, there's still, in little small-town America, uh, good stuff's happening. Speaking of bad stuff, this is the anniversary of 9-11, uh, and when I was thinking about this yesterday, I thought, wow, you know, 21 years. I mean, I bet every one of us remember what we were doing when we heard. And I was a school teacher at the time. I, I remember I was in high school when we heard, and it was the strangest day. Um, and then afterwards, it was incredibly strange. Uh, and you know, what was going to happen, and as such things are, it was such a, a monumental disaster to us. And the documentary they made about that, I can't remember where that, we, we saw that just a bit ago, uh, which has all the, the real-time footage of what happened, to see how it all panned out, all from the aspect of the first responders and getting people out. I, uh, I can't remember what it was called, but they, they made a wonderful documentary on it. And how impactful that was to everybody. But then I thought, you know, we just went through a pandemic. At least that seems to be waning a bit. Uh, I, I think a government doesn't want it to. But none of my conspiracy theories should here be behind the pulpit. But, uh, you know, it made me think of disaster or the, the flux of evil that arises in our world. And then 
kind of dissipates, then it comes again. You know, uh, from from the beginning, this has always been that. And now after, once COVID kind of goes away, if it does, then there'll be another one. And that'll go away, and then there'll be another one. And, and uh, on and on it goes. But <clears throat> in the Lord's Prayer, He told us to pray, Your kingdom come. And you know, I, I pray the Lord's Prayer every morning before I get up, and uh, I, I think about it and talk to God about it. And it has made an incredible difference to me because I, I talk to Him about His kingdom coming, praise Him for it, thank Him for it, anticipate it, and only after that do I read the news. And what a marvelous difference. This isn't our kingdom, plus it's temporary, plus God is in control of everything. And that is the one constant throughout history, despite disasters, natural disasters, like the, the we have forest fires going on around us now. Thank, thankfully, it doesn't seem like they're they're too bad, but you know, from a couple of years ago up there in in, uh, in the Cascades and around Detroit and stuff, and that was is terrible. Uh, and you know, all of this stuff is going to continue to happen, uh, and and as it goes, it's going to hit each of us personally at times. You know, at, at times it will, at times it won't, and we're always shocked when it does. And you know, I say rightly so. But you know, God along the way is shown, and all throughout the gospel is constant; it's never changed. The Bible constant; it hasn't changed. Uh, the the church, even the fluxes in the church, have not. And denominations and divisions have not destroyed the church. The church soldiers on. The things that God does here on earth are constant. And in this way, he's showing us that he controls all things. And we need not worry. So, anyway, that's what my thoughts were on 9-11. All right, let's uh, open up a prayer. And we'll get into our service. Let's thank God for our time together to hear his word and to... Uh, concentrate on his word and learn it, and also to praise him and be together as we worship him with humility and thankfulness. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are so grateful we can call you Father. Because we know that through your Son, Jesus Christ, and his sacrifice in our behalf, that he, through his finished work, has made us your sons. We are your sons and daughters forever. And therefore, we confidently call you Father. Father, in the very real sense that we are your children forever. That we have your love, your fatherly love. <clears throat> the fact that we are with you forever. We are in you. And you're in us. And all the benefits that come with that, that you have accrued to us, Father, and you have provided for us all that we need so that we can focus what life truly is, which is on you. On you, your Son, and the Spirit that you've given us, the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity that is in us to reveal to us the Son and you. You tell us, Father, that your kingdom is coming and that your will will be done. We long for that time that we're not in it right now on earth. And yet we know, Father, with great confidence 
that that time will come. And so we do, we have hope and we don't live in fear. So, Father, you have provided for us. You have forgiven us. You have, though, allowed us to be tempted and tested. And in those tempts, temptations and tests is where we learn of your faithfulness as our Father and as the one who gives to us by grace and love. And we thank you, Father, for all things, though we don't understand half of it. But we, this half that we do understand, Father, is what provides for us a face-to-face relationship with you. We ask, Father, that through your Spirit that our hearts would be enlightened. And we ask in Christ's name, amen. All rise, please.
All right, let's begin in John 16. Uh, we've been discussing this main passage for uh, all week, actually. And uh, so, is the main two parts about it, well, the main part is, let's read it, and we'll see, John 16, 14. He, speaking of God the Holy Spirit, shall glorify me, for he shall take of mine and disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. And so what the, fa- the things of the Father and the things of the Son are the same. So verse 15 is kind of like a footnote, and the <clears throat> meaning it don't think that the things of his things are different from the Father's things, so therefore it is God's things. And the Holy Spirit, who also is God and possesses these things, he's a he, as you see there, that's a masculine pronoun that's used. He's not a force, as the cults say. He's he's a person, third person of the Trinity. But the Holy Spirit is not in this age, and so far in any age, to glorify himself. And that's why we find in the Scripture uh, gobs of doctrine about the Son and not really a whole lot about the Holy Spirit. Uh, so, he shall glorify me, and he'll take of mine and disclose it to you. So, Jesus Christ is glorified in us when by the Holy Spirit, which we will in the future go over, and I, I could tell you that it's not a, it, there's no trick to it other than faith and obedience. And that's how the Spirit is going to control you and guide you and fill you and empower you is through faith, faith in Him, faith in God, meaning the ability of God, the Holy Spirit within you, to do the things that need to be done and to learn the things that need to be learned. And therefore, you know, in our hearts we don't say, I can't do that, uh, but by faith I should say, and I must say, I can and I will. Because this is the will of the Father, and the Scripture must be fulfilled. So I will do what I'm called to do, and I will learn what I'm called to learn. Because, and there's no excuses, and it's because the Holy Spirit is in me to do this very thing. Now, the specifically, of all the ministries, when we say ministries, there's really one ministry of the Holy Spirit to the believer, which is revealed here, to reveal the Son, the word disclose is a, a Greek word that means to proclaim. Uh, and it means to speak to or proclaim. And so he is going to proclaim to us the things of the Son. He's going to take of mine and proclaim it to you. So that's the main, <clears throat> the main theme of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so what we've been doing all week, and it's been... Uh, you know, as usual, it expands a bit more than I imagine, is that, first off, what is the Spirit saying? I mean, what is its source? So there are other, you know, there are those who believe in various denominations and that are, are Christian, that the Spirit can speak to us outside of the Word of God. If you go deep enough in prayer or whatever means they have, that you can hear directly from God. And we're all firm believers that we hear directly from God, but what we hear from God has to be in the Word of God. Or 
<coughs> you know, you could imagine you hear anything. Uh, there's limits, and the limit. This is why God has given us His Word. It's called the mind of Christ. It is the the sword of the Spirit. It is the, that which is our source of the truth, and it's the only source. And so, what is the Spirit going to disclose to me? The Word of God. So now, should I, can I know all the Word of God? Yes. Now, we say all, we, now we discussed this all week. Does anybody know all of it? Nobody. <laughs> Not a person alive uh, knows all of it. Uh, that would be impossible. And even if you spent 100 years studying the Word of God, let's say, I don't know, 10, 12 hours a day, there still be passages in the Word of God that, well, you know, do I understand the fullness of what this passage is saying? And there's many passages. My eyes have been very open to them lately, and I'm seeing more and more of them, where, you know, it, it, everything is not revealed. And you can see that there's more to know here, but God isn't revealing it. So, you know, big things like this are trinity and hypostatic union and divine decree and eternity. God's not in time, but we have past and future. And there's all kinds of stuff that we know of and we know some of, but we God does not reveal all of. Uh, But what we can know, all of us can know. Right? Education in the past, you know, what grade level I made it through, uh, what is my official IQ, whatever that is. None of that matters because it's the Spirit, God Himself, who is revealing Jesus Christ, the Son of God, from the Word of God. And therefore, all of us can see Him. Now, the second thing is, how do I listen? And so if I've come to understand the source, which is God's word, how do I hear? Because not everybody hears. And as Jesus said, if you have ears to hear, let them hear. As well, Paul says, Jesus does say it in, in the book of Revelation, but it's not Paul writing that either, it's John. So let's get our theology straight and our authors straight. <laughs> so John writes, you know, he who has an ear, let him hear. And what is that ear? Uh, as uh, is very famous, Jesus quoted it several times in from the book of Isaiah that you know Israel has ears to hear, but they don't hear. They have eyes to see, but they don't see. And he says, render these people blind. Now, why couldn't they hear? Because they didn't believe. And Jesus was straight with them on this. They said, you, you, he said to them, you look, in John chapter 5, he said, you look into the scriptures because you think in them that you have eternal life. When he says, the scriptures reveal me. And he said, you don't want me. And in that same passage, he said to them, you want glory from men. You don't want glory from God. And then he says, how can you believe? And so the scriptures reveal him. So uh, how are we? How do we hear by faith? Yes, but also as the Lord will reveal to us, uh, as the Scriptures do, that what is being revealed about a holy God from the Holy Spirit is holy, and we have to be holy to be listening. 
So if, if our hearts are set on unholy things, we cannot hear. Now, none of us are sinless. So, you know, we're not going to be hearing all the time, not any of us. <clears throat> but if our, if our way of life, our desires, what we love, what we want is not holy, then we don't want Him. It's a very prevalent thing. It's been all throughout church history, but especially in Western Christianity in modern times, is that Christians want all the benefits of God, but they don't necessarily want God. Because in God there is testing, there's suffering, there's confusion, there's uh, work, there's sacrifice, there's also joy and rest and, and all of it should have peace on it. But <clears throat> do we want God or do we want the benefits of God? And if you want God, you get the benefits of God. If you just want the benefits of God and say you only want God when it's convenient or the parts of God that you like or have grown to like, but you don't want all of Him, then... <laughs> What you find, you'll find that you become, and all you will be, is self-absorbed. You know, is Christianity designed for me? That's an excellent question. Because in a way, it is. And in a greater way, it's not. Uh, so, and, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. It's, it's quite a, an intense and deep subject, too. Uh, and it takes, because there's, there's truths that are distorted, but it, they're still truths. Like, for instance, uh, say power, right? Is power so people who lust for power, there's a lot of them in our world. They always have been. But people who lust for power, yeah, I think of uh, the, the king of the Assyrians, Sennacherib, who sent his messenger to Jerusalem and told all the people in Jerusalem, you're, what, what Hezekiah, King Hezekiah is telling you about the fact that you can depend upon your God, Jehovah Elohim, is a lie. And Sennacherib said there has not been one God of any city. Every city had their own particular God because they were polytheists. And so the Assyrians and actually a lot of other people around Israel just saw Yavah or Jehovah as the particular city God of Jerusalem. They didn't believe in him as the one true God, but they did acknowledge him as one of the gods. And Sennacherib said, not one, city, not one God of any city has been able to resist me, and Yahweh Elohim will not resist me either. He shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Sennacherib was dead in probably less than a year. He was stabbed uh, in, by his own sons, in the temple of his God that he was worshiping. They snuck up on him and executed him. And he had 185,000 soldiers surrounding Jerusalem ready to attack, and they all woke up dead. That is a joke. But they, they for whatever, plague, the angel of the Lord just went through the camp and said, Adios. Um, yeah, so... What is life about? What is Christianity about? What is humanity about? What is history about? Well, 
It's all about Him. It's not about us. This is the most freeing thing. But we, there's good things in here, right? Say power, right? That's what I was talking about. Is power a bad thing? When you lust for it, it becomes quite evil. But God has all power. It can't be bad. We're told to have power. Stand firm in the strength of the Lord, Ephesians 6.10, as he sets us up for putting on the armor of God. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. The Holy Spirit is to make us strong. So strength and power, excellent things. But we must understand what they're for. And when we understand what these things are for, and you know what Jesus says here in John 16 protects us. Is your power, your wisdom, your service, your work, your knowledge, your studying, is it all for you to see the Lord or is it for something else? And we have to take inventory on that. So the main goal is to behold the Son and experience His presence. Now this... And again, we have some truths here that have been distorted. You say experience his presence, but what are you talking about here? You're talking about existentialism, which is the, you know, the idea that Christianity is all an experience, and if you're not experiencing something ecstaticy, emotionally, you know, you're not experiencing God. Like the lights are off. Is that true? No. You know, is, is the. Uh, I don't want to, now I don't want to make fun of the Pentecostals because I've made friends now with the Pentecostal pastors in my theology class, and I really like this guy. Although, you know, we agree on 95% of our theology probably. And I'm not going to, he's my brother in Christ, so anyway, I'll leave that aside. But, you know, if in some other denomination, you're flip-flopping on the floor and you're saying, you know, this is, now I'm filled with the Spirit. You know, so... That's the pendulum. I always call this the pendulum now. The pendulum swings into that camp, and then the rest of us say, well, that's crazy. And so, you know what we're going to do? Have no emotion. And that's crazy. That's the pendulum on the other side. And so, is the Christian life an experience? I think one of the fruits of the Spirit is joy, peace, kindness. When you're kind and someone's kind to you, you don't experience that. Of course you do. But it doesn't mean that everything's an ecstatic experience. So Christianity is life, and life is complex. It's not hard and complicated. It's just things don't fit into watertight compartments all the time, as we would like them to. Uh, So Jesus told us that if we behold him, we behold the Father, right? Right? And I love this. This goal of Christianity makes it not about me and not about you, but all about him. But when things are about me, even my knowledge, that's where all divisions and nasty disputes come from. I have to be right. Why do I have to be right? You know, it, but then again, should I not be right? Well, of course I should be right. But I should also be humble. And the more humble I am, the more I'm going to know. And in my heart of hearts, I should want others to know, not win the argument. And as Paul said, if uh, to the weak, I was weak. 
Why? Because I wanted to show them the gospel, not win the argument. So look at go to Second Timothy chapter two. A couple of passages in Timothy. Second <clears throat> Timothy chapter two. There was a guy many, many years ago at Grace Bible Church, there was a guy named Timothy who at times would have some uh, uh, interesting things to add to the conversation or, or come up with. And we'd, we'd always say to him, you must have written 3 Timothy because I don't see that in our Bible. There's only two Timothys. So look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. But refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. So what does he say? He says just refuse them. Don't get involved in it. Just refuse them. Because what? They produce quarrels. So is that a bad thing? And Paul does depict it as such, as an actual terrible thing in the body of Christ. So go back to 1 Timothy 6, where he speaks of the same thing. 1 Timothy 6, uh, verse 3. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness. Now, the Greek word godliness is eusebia. It has the prefix eu, which means well, and sebia means devoted. And so this word means to be well devoted to God, or very devoted to God. That's what godliness is. So those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing. Now, what does conceited mean? Fully yourself. But has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words, out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness actually is a means of gain when accompanied by contentment. So we have a description here of a lot of people that we know and see in, in, in our lives and in the world and in the media that you know they, they, they revel, have a morbid interest in things that are controversial. Paul calls them conceited. But he's also speaking of those who are in the church or at least profess to be because they say to themselves that godliness, which is being devoted to God, is a means of gain. And I think immediately when, we, when I think of that, or at least when I used to, I used to think of the Jim Bakers of the past, you know, like something like that, where, <clears throat> you know, the televangelists who were obviously, once all the thing went down, they were in it for the money. And, okay, so but does gain mean just money? What else could I think that I gain from being godly, or at least pretending to be? And so it might be admiration, it might be power, it might be personal success. I know there's a lot of people, you know, if you go to church and you shake the hand, you're probably good for business if you're doing business in the community. But it can also mean things like good health, a healthy family, good kids, and and a good home, and like stuff like that. And like the whole Mormon community has pretty much that, doesn't they? 
But uh, here's the thing with, we have to remember before the pendulum swings. Are any of those things bad? No. None of them are. In and of themselves. You know, none of them are bad. Personal success, nothing. Money, power, a good family. And it's, none of them are bad. But when, what did Jesus say the Holy Spirit is to reveal to us? How to be happy? Oh, he didn't say that. What is the Holy Spirit supposed to reveal to us? How to have a good home life, a good family, good marriage? He didn't say that either. But wait a minute. Isn't Christianity going to give me these things? Maybe. Maybe not. Is it guaranteed? If you go to that guy's church in Houston, it is. I never mention Joel Olstein's name when I talk about him like that. So he's always the one I think of. It, it, it in, you know, whatever. I'm not judging the guy. I don't, I don't even know hardly anything about it. I definitely won't read his books. <laughs> but I, I've got too much other stuff to read. I, I'm not going to deal with it. Uh, I know somebody gave a book report on his latest book. It was about prosperity. It's something in Christianity. And the person said, "Do you know that the cross of Christ was not mentioned once in the entire book?" And I'd be like, "That's good enough for me. I don't need to read those." So, uh, but anyway, this prosperity doctrine, it's everywhere actually. And it, what, it re, what it teaches the church is that Christianity is for you. I was like, well, wait a minute, is it for me? Christianity is to make you happy, comfortable, and make your life right. And now, you know, right's a tricky word. I mean, we mean righteous, yes. But do we mean that everything's going to go really swimmingly well? Oh, you're missing a lot of passages there. Actually, quite a bit. So how do I avoid that? How do I avoid skipping over all the passages about suffering and, you know, uh, being conformed to his death? <laughs> and uh, losing my life, and denying myself, and the struggle. Is there a struggle in denying yourself? Or does the Olson nature go, oh, I didn't know you were denying yourself today. <laughs> my bad, I'll just go to sleep. It is hard. And that's why it takes the power of the Spirit. And even those who understand and put their faith in and trust in the power of the Spirit, struggle. You know, sometimes it's not much as much of a struggle as, as other times, but it is a constant war. The flesh against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And I, I'm, I'm learning this passage, and we'll get to it in someday soon, whenever that is, that you know, it says in that passage, the spirit wars with the flesh, the flesh wars with the spirit, so that you may not do the things that you please. I've never in my life understood why Paul writes that. I thought I have, but I, I, as I look at it now, I'm like, I, to be honest, I'm trying to learn what Paul means there. What does he mean you can't do the things that you please? I can't sin? No, if I'm pleased to do that, I can do that. I can't, you know, worship God and do the, the good godliness? No, if I purpose to do that, I can pull that off. I know I have. But part, you know, it... It's possible, and I have to say possible, but that what Paul means there is that even when 
I choose, as a believer, if I choose to head the path, the life of sin, I'm not going to, as a believer, am I going to be able to pull it off like an unbeliever? Uh uh. There's going to be conflict, there's going to be conviction. Plus, never mind, wait, wait till the big two by four by your father comes out of heaven and slaps you across the face. You're not going to be able to do it the way that you please, so you struggle. What about doing the will of God perfectly? Like you want to do it. I'm going to give you all the benefit of the doubt and say you want to do it. I'm throwing myself in the, in the, in the batch there too. We all want to do the will of God perfectly. Do we pull it off perfectly? Boy, it's hard to determine. In the midst of my work and my service and my praying and my did I how about prayer? Have you prayed prayed perfectly? There wasn't one stray thought in there where you were like, What am I having for dinner again? There was none of that. There was nothing that seeped in there where you just you know, you didn't say the right thing perfectly? <laughs> you never did, actually. As Paul writes, we don't know how to pray. We're too weak. But the Spirit helps. The Spirit intercedes. And what is Paul telling us there? Try and pray perfectly? Well, we should. We're told, be perfect as your Father in Heaven is perfect. But <clears throat> know that because... Everything you do and think may be even slightly stained with weakness. We'll qualify it as that. That we depend on the mercy of God every moment. He's working in us to make it happen. I never can do anything good without Him. And even when I do that good... Is it up to par with the perfection of God? I don't know. I'm trying though. And God, by His grace, blesses that life. And God, by His grace, reveals His Son to you. So you're, you're, you're a sinner in a, a deep personal relationship with the sinless, perfect, holy Lord and His glory um, affects you and changes you and, in fact, transforms you into His glory. <clears throat> so, the means of great gain could be anything. Now, again, nothing wrong with any of those things. Ha- personal happiness, of course. Uh, we're, we're actually commanded to rejoice. Uh, money, wealth, power, any of that. There's nothing actually in and of itself wrong with it. But this godliness is to be accompanied by contentment. So we saw, as Paul wrote here, that those who don't agree with sound doctrine, they're conceited and they rather get into disputes about things which arise envy, strife, abusive language. They They have morbid interests in controversial questions. And it, <clears throat> if we have that kind of soul, we don't have a contented soul. And so here is a clue. It's a key. A, not a key to, but I'd say a clue to. Because contentment is personal peace and happiness. And is that the goal 
of godliness. If you say that, it's, it's really not. The, the goal of godliness is for us to see the Lord. The byproduct of that is contentment. It's a byproduct. So it's like, you know, here's the fruit of the vine. And we say, well, the whole thing is about the fruit. And you forget the vine. You're to behold the vine. The fruit will come. So one of the many benefits to us from godliness is definitely contentment. But is that its purpose? Is the purpose of the Christian life to make me happy? Well, that's a benefit. But it's not the purpose. If Christianity is about us, when we got all that we wanted, we wouldn't need Christ anymore. We wouldn't need God anymore. So they say we get up to when we're in the only time that we're going to be completely getting everything that we desire is heaven. As Paul writes, in these bodies we groan, longing to be transformed. Uh, he says that in a couple passages. It's one of the very interesting place that he says it in Romans eight is that in these bodies we groan, longing to be re- these bodies to be redeemed, to be in heaven. And that same word we groan is later on the Holy Spirit groaning for us in prayer. And so in our gro- what's this groaning? It's this weakness of this body. We want, you know, if you've fallen in love with the Lord and you love His Word, you want to do it all just right. And I guess if you did, why would you long for heaven? And, uh, I mean, of course you would in some level, but it's in heaven we'll have it. So, we won't need the Lord anymore? Right? I'll say, well, we'll need Him because we're never going to reach pure, full knowledge <clears throat> and then again, we're just thinking about us. What, how much knowledge do I have? I need the knowledge. But all of it is pointed towards the creature in relationship, walking with, relating to, fellowshipping with his creator. And there ain't nothing better than that. <clears throat> so when we understand what holiness is for, what knowledge is for, what godliness is for, all the disputes and the prideful pursuits go away. Now, I'm just trying to learn of the Lord and see the Lord and walk with the Lord, and that's what I want for you. And you know what? I'll lose an argument if that gets you closer to Him. I'll get, Paul said, I'll, I won't eat meat again if it causes one of my brothers to stumble. So when you read about, let's see, all, you know, all in the Old Testament heroes, uh, that's where we start with Moses or Abraham or Moses or David or any of the prophets. Was the life that God given them about them? Let me say that Moses did what he did for him. He said, I'm really going to go down in the history books dragging these two million knuckleheads around the wilderness. But <laughs> we have Moses writing in Psalm 91, when, Lord? When? Oh, you can just feel his anguish when he writes it. 
And he knows when, by the way, because he was told. For the 40 days, those 10 uh, unfaithful people were in the promised land saying they're too big, they're too strong, we we can't take this, God can't give us this land. God said for every day that they're up there doing that, you're going to walk a year. So 40 years. They're 40 days up there saying we can't take them. I can imagine them going around saying, do you see how big those guys are? They look like they're seven feet tall. Then they go to the next village. They look, they're like six feet tall. They go to the next village. They're kind of like five and a half feet tall. They still look kind of big. <clears throat> you, you, if fear fills your heart, everything looks impossible. Doesn't it? If your heart is fearful, then you've already contended that, nope, this isn't going to work then you can't do anything. You don't have the power to. And isn't it wonderful <laughs> that God, I laugh because we, we say, isn't it wonderful It's for others when they're in that situation of testing? Isn't it wonderful that God is testing you so that you'll put your faith in Him? Is it wonderful for me when God puts me in that situation? Those many situations where we're tested so that we will put our faith in him. Was Moses in it for him? Was David? Did God give Paul his life so that Paul would be glorified? We love Paul for what he's done. We admire him. But his life was not about him at all. Do we think that that was just for the prophets and the apostles and it's not for us? Oh, of course it is. This life is not about you. It's not about me either. And what they, ironically, what is amazing about this, because what holiness is, holiness literally means to be separate unto God. And so as, uh, I can give you this. I've been reading this guy's book. I don't agree with every part of it, but that much of it is written just terrifically. He's home with the Lord now, but J.I. Packer is uh, evangelical from England. Uh <clears throat> And he writes, this is his definition of holiness, is one of them. is an ordered, costly, unstinting commitment for the Lord's sake to spouse, children, parents, employers, employees, and all one's other neighbors on the basis of being radically detached from them all to belong to God, Father, Son, and Spirit, and to no one else, is the unvarying shape of the authentically holy life. And the point that he marvelously brings out here is that I am unstintingly committed for the Lord's sake to everyone in my life on the basis of being completely detached from them. You say, what are you talking about? And the irony here is that I don't live for my wife or my husband or my neighbors or my children. I live for the Lord. But when I do that, I allow myself to get closer to them than I ever could. And I think the reason here is because we're so flawed. And as flawed people, if we say, well, look, I, flawed person, am committed to you, flawed person, there's all kinds of 
problems and barriers and issues. Sinful things. But when I'm committed to Him, well, now I can see you in proper light. And myself related to you. When I'm committed to Him, I see forgiveness, light, glory, goodness, truth, uh, sacrifice. I see all that. Because that's what He is. That's what the glory of God is. I look into the mirror of the glory of God and it reflects back on me and that's what I see. And then I look at you. I see you differently. Take the Lord out of that equation. As committed as you may be, it falls apart. So, now I'm completely lost. One more. There we go. So it's through holy. This is how we hear. The Spirit is going to speak to us, announce to us, proclaim to us the Lord Himself. What is the what is the Spirit going to proclaim? The Word of God. How am I going to hear it? <clears throat> So it's got to be much more than some academic knowledge. As a maze, I've had a lot of gotten to know my Greek professor a little bit. He's a graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary from the 80s. And funny, I said, you know, I I have a background in Dallas Theological. I started off with Colonel Theme, and he's like, oh, Colonel R.V. Theme, yeah, I know him. I went to one of his his conferences back in the day. He knew him and listened to him, so he's a brilliant man. And <clears throat> yeah, he told me the other day that one of some of his favorite commentators are unbelievers. He's like, I'm convinced they're unbelievers, but they know the language and the history so well. I love what they write. I mean, I don't take into my soul what you know their unbelief. But you know, I'm looking when I'm looking for information. So my point being is that you can have knowledge of things in the Bible and not even believe that Christ is your Savior. One of the greatest Greek they, he's referenced all the time. A. T. Robertson uh, was not a believer in Christ, but he was expert at Greek, and so he wrote multiple books about Koine Greek, which is the Greek that the Bible's written in. So his work on language, marvelous. But we we can't be like that. Oh, heck no. So what was my point there? Is that the word, the truth, has got to go past. I think, you know, I I have this picture of the soul which on the outside has, uh, I don't know, entertainment. You know, they're kind of like the superficial things. My material's... You know, my money, my car, my house, my stuff, uh, my entertainment, my hobbies, my whatever. Whatever occupies me. What I want for lunch. Those are all on the outside, swimming around there. And we can let the Word of God swim around there on the outside. It's no more important to us than what lunch is. So how do I get it deep in? As, as, as a Jesus said, not a Jesus, I, I keep getting the wrong authors here. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4.12 that it pierces to the division of soul and spirit. The word of God is alive and powerful. 
And so we've got to take the Word of God through obedience and love of Him and truly contemplate and understand it. Now, what does Jesus mean here when He says He'll take of mine and disclose it to you? I can know that, but to me personally, how about what has He disclosed to me and how much do I know of Him? You know, how does this process all work? And it, it takes, it would take time, and I would say a wonderful time to do that is in prayer and just meditation on, you know, thinking about, meditating on what are these passages? What do they mean to me? So as it says in Hebrews 12:14, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification, there's your word for holiness, it's the same root word, hagias, that's hagiosune, and the <clears throat> sanctification with, without which no one will see the Lord. Now, of course, this is one of those things where you could say, well, is he talking about sanctification and salvation, or is he talking about living sanctification, sometimes called practical or experiential sanctification? Okay, you know, it, you'd have to look at the surrounding passages around it, but I can tell you truthfully he means the living sanctification. And this makes perfect sense. If the Holy Spirit is revealing a holy Lord and I'm not living and looking. See, what I'm, what I'm looking at and desiring is what I'm living. Right? And that my conscience, what it wants, what it honors, what it loves, is what it looks at. As, as Paul says, I pray the eyes of your heart will be enlightened. Because there's inner eyes. What's that? Your conscience. And, you know, if I'm going to look at things and behold and hear and understand holy things, then I myself also must be holy. And it's a command from God in both Testaments. Leviticus and Deuteronomy say, Be holy, God says, for I am holy. And the same thing is repeated in the New Testament. Be, by 1 Peter chapter 1, Be holy, for I am holy. And, and this is, I think, a great help to us. What is the purpose of holiness? And did God just test us? Did he make us all flawed? You know, the Trinity said, well, let's make all these people flawed in different ways and let's see who wins. Right? Play some bets. You know, like a rat in a maze or something like that. Uh, obviously not. The, <clears throat> the purpose of holiness, once we understand it, is the gateway to beholding God in time. Like right now, beholding, seeing, and being changed by Him. And so we pursue it. It doesn't mean that we're perfect at it. And in fact, it's baby steps at the beginning, isn't it? In Christianity, you could be on baby steps for a long time. But so, that's fine. So be it, as long as you're walking. As long as you're searching. So, in Jesus, which would be the same thing here, in Matthew 5, 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, this purity means cleanliness. And, you know, this is for, in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is speaking to those who are his disciples. He is describing not all believers, but a disciple. Who is his disciple? 
That's why he said to us, one of my favorite passages in the Sermon on the Mount is, if you just greet those who greet you, if you just love those who love you, how are you extraordinary? What does that mean? He means, I mean for you to be extraordinary. And, you know, one of the, the problems that arises with us is, first off, we don't think that holiness is necessary. We think it's extra. You know, that's, that's the extra stuff. And, no, it's absolutely necessary. And then the second problem is, we don't think we can do it. And with, if you put those two together, oh, and you, you've got the perfect excuse. <laughs> I, I know this because I did it. <laughs> it really works. It'll give you a clean conscience uh, until the card, a house of cards falls down. And it will because your father is faithful. You don't hardly have to do anything to knock that over. It's just weak. And then he, and he opens your eyes. I mean, I think all, all of us do this to some extent, try and wiggle our way through Christianity in an easier path than what it is, or and, and the not obedient path that it is. So it's true, though, also, as we were started off with this morning, that holiness or holy living is by far the best life for us. Happiness? Absolutely. Happiness, peace, joy, uh, it's the best for you physically. The mind is, the mind's work over the body. And to know the truth of that, all you have to do is look at the opposite where, you know, uh, a lifestyle of sin, how it affects the body. You know, things like, you know, uh, uh, chemicals like drugs or alcohol are, are obvious, but there's other things too, like a life of worry. Right? You, you want more and more and more wrinkles. Keep worrying. And your face just constricts like a prune by the time you're, you know, the worry face. Or how about bitter and angry for years and years and years? Oh, it's written all over you after a while. You know, your mom said, don't make that face. It's going to stay like that. <laughs> By far the best thing for you, for your mental health, your physical health, for your relationships, for your careers, your professions, if God chooses to bless them. But we have to be acceptance of the fact, too, that he might not. And for our personalities, intellect, will, conscience. It is through holiness that we find our real selves, the person that God meant us to be, and God desires us to be. But the purest reason for holiness is not for us. The bene- so it's the same thing as with relationships. I'm not living for you. I'm living for him, but that makes me closer to you. And I'm not living for me. I'm living for him. And that's the best thing for me. And I take me out. I'm out. Take me out of there. This is him. And it's, it's so many places in the scripture too. So the purest reason for holiness is to see God. We all know that benefits and blessings to self can easily turn into self-absorption, 
self-aggrandizement. I've seen this so much where people wanted to really fluff their feathers about how much doctrine they knew or you know, how many years they were saved or they thought they were at this stage of spiritual growth where nobody else was. And, uh, you know, with self-absorption, Satan would love for you to see you overcome some bad habit so that he can inject you with pride. By far make you a worse being. Make you a demon like himself almost in behavior, I would say. Now, Satan would love to see us overcome bad habits and be filled with the sin of pride. He would love, he'd cheer you on in that. Still, the life of God is not as much the avoidance of bad, although it is, it's not as much that as it is the pursuit of good. Holiness for walking with God. Uh, So, I know I've only got a minute. I'd probably close it right there. The... uh, so, when we, we're looking at two things, we continue to look at these. What is the Holy Spirit saying? It is the Word of God. How do I listen? And how I listen is my devotion to the life that God has given me. My obedience and my love of Him. And they, they go hand in hand. And they'll, they increase. So, if I say I, I have a little bit of obedience. Latch on to that. And, and latch on to it and move. Move in that. Do. Live in what you know. And be obedient to it. And the, the, the basis or the foundation of truth that you can obey and understand will grow. And I'd say it will grow rapidly. And you will see Him more and more and more. And you'll be drawn into Him. Into the Lord Jesus Christ. Day by day. As he's walking with you, with you, right? He said, love me and keep my word and I and my Father will build our house with you. That's day in and day out. And so, and who have we not really talked so much about? The Holy Spirit. I mean, I guess somewhat. But, you know, it's the Holy Spirit has this ministry in which he is not glorified, though he is God, and he's glorifying to us the Son and the Father. And the Son first and foremost, because He's revealing Him, but then Jesus said that my things are the Father's things. And so we know, we have this confidence that nothing can stop me from learning God's Word. Nothing. And nothing can stop me, if I choose to live it, from being holy. By, by far the, the harder thing, I would say. Uh, we learn God's Word, understand God's Word, but the, where, where the rubber meets the road, which I take from Vernon McGee, <laughs> another great theologian, that, you know, we... we uh, what, did, what did he say? He said it all the time. God, I haven't read or listened to him in ages. Uh, he said something about... Um, we don't hear a word you're saying. What is that phrase you used to say? We can say, we, you know, we see, we see what you're doing, you know, whatever. I'll look it up for next Sunday. 
But it's something about where the rubber meets the road is how we're living, and we could be talk, 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 talking about all this, all these things that we know from God's word. And if we're not living them, then you know we don't hear a word you're saying. It's something like that. Uh, so not all of us have the spirit within to make this a reality. None of us are excluded from it. And the, again, the two problems uh, that <clears throat> it's unattainable, I can't do it, and the, and the fact that I, I can't understand it, right? Holiness is beyond me, and I can't do it. It's a lie. And so we, we have to never believe that lie. And if we have been believing that lie, to refute it immediately because God is in us to do this very thing. And there's nothing impossible for him. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your encouragement in your word. Thank you for the warnings, exhortations in your word. And both go hand in hand. You warn us not to go down certain roads and you encourage us on the right road, the road that leads to life. Life is you. Life is in you. Life is with you. Life is walking with you. And that is with you, Father, done through learning your word and obeying your word. To be set apart unto you as holy. And we thank you, Father, that though we still continue to sin and that we don't really ever know if we do things perfectly, we know that we depend upon you and your grace always. And that grace is always there. It abounds. And we can never exceed it. Thank you, Father, for allowing us to depend upon you and to enjoy the fruits of your life. We ask in Christ's name, amen. All right, we'll take our uh, offering this morning. Yes, sir. Uh, maybe. I never know where it's going to go, Roger. Uh, but yeah, I would, I, yeah, for now. Uh, let's pray for our offering. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the opportunity to give. Uh, we thank you that we can give to uh, your church so that the word of God can be proclaimed to all who can hear or want to hear. We thank you, Father, for our local assembly and a place to gather and a place to be together and to glorify you. So we pray, Father, that these finances glorify you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Thank you, Father, for our gathering. Thank you for this day. Uh, Thank you for uh, the truth of your word that will guide and lead us today and be a great blessing to us. And and the closing moments of our service are dedicated to anyone who has not come to believe in Christ as their Savior. And if you're listening, I beg you to please consider who is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Savior of the world, Son of God, who's become a man. 
And as prophesied about him for thousands of years, he did what he was called to do. He obeyed the Scriptures as he himself said. And he laid down his life to be judged for the sins of the world on the cross. He was judged for your sins. And therefore, if you believe upon him, you will be saved. So Jesus has died for you. <clears throat> you have a choice. You can reject him or accept him. And uh, God is very clear that to accept Jesus Christ is not to work or to do anything or even to change anything about you other than your belief upon him. So believe upon Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you will be saved. We thank you, Father, for who you are and what you have done. In Christ's name, amen.